Welcome everyone to another episode of Freshfall Magazine Dark Matters Podcast. Uh, well, Dark Matters Podcast is sponsored by Freshfall Magazine. I am Jay Austin Yoshino. I am the host of this podcast. This is my illustrious co-host. I, again, I got to find another word. My indefatigable co-host, Marguerite Hill. She is the executive director and co-founder of Elizabeth Anti-Racism Collaborative. Marguerite. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always great. Saturday morning for me, where I get to nerd out with my good friend. Heck yeah. That's yeah. what we do. Um, I want to tell everybody that Marguerite is the executive director and uh, co-founder of Muslim Anti-Racism Collaborative. They're one of the uh, the sponsors of this podcast. Uh, they do um, anti-racism collaborative training. Um, please go and check out their Twitter, their Instagram, and their other social media. Um, like and share, subscribe, donate, do all that good stuff. They're a really great organization. I really enjoy working with them. I also want to let everybody know that this is also co-sponsored by Fresh Pulp Magazine, and this is not free. Um, the streaming platform, who I will not mention until they give us free junk, uh, costs money. Um, the books and stuff that we like what, like to review cost money. All that stuff costs money. Um, we don't really actually get paid, but it helps take the edge off when we get little donations. Three, four, five dollars, ninety-nine cents. Whatever you want to do, head over to our Ko-Fi. There's a tip. There's a tip link in our Twitter. And before we get into today's topics, I want to mention to people that Dark Matters podcast is not a podcast that is designed to tell people what to like and what to watch and what to enjoy. That is not our objective. Our objective is to help people critically deconstruct and analyze the tropes, harmful and otherwise, that are being presented to us and portrayed for us in this media, in books, in television, in films. Um, because we 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 are a nation that tends to to consume uncritically, and I think in an effort to combat things like racism, combat things like misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, all of these groups that we are in uh, in solidarity with, we like to help people deconstruct this because they may be being nudged to a certain way or to a certain point of view without even realizing it. So that's our objective. So this week, what do we want? What do we want to? Do we want to like go with like the full gamut? Because we've got a lot. We've got the new Ahsoka episodes. We've got Foundation. We have potentially a um, and we have you know we have a nerd. We have a little nerd thing possibly. Do we want to do all of it? Let's let's like be disciplined this week. I want to try and keep some keep us around an hour. And let's just say, I mean, I I really like talking with people about this, and I would love to do like a three hour segment. But like, so let's talk about um. I don't, I don't have a science roundup because we have so much to talk about. Once we reach a little bit more equilibrium with the episodes, I'll bring the science segment back, which may be next week or the week after. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love, I mean, I love the science roundup. I think that's important, but it's also great to go do a deep dive. Um, I think a little bit of nerding out. So I'll okay. start. Dune yeah. has been postponed to 2024. Yes. And it is related, right, to AI, which in the Butlerian Jihad is like they get rid of all thinking machines, right? Because yes. we're talking about good writing. You know, if you're going to have good writing, um, you know, and creative writing, you know, you need that human element. Um, but, you know, with the strikes, it's like they're trying to replace 
and cheapen the writing by utilizing AI. Um, so that that is that kind of irony of um, of that. But um, with the postponement, I mean, what we really hope is that um, that the WGA um, is able to pre prevail and that some the demands are met. Um, so still solidarity with all workers who are fighting for their rights. Um, yeah, it's um, that the yeah, irony is not important. lost on me. The, I, the <laughs> idea that we're fighting AI in 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 the WGA, we're fighting against AI, but also the entire the entire subtext of Dune is this Butlerian Jihad, as you pointed out, the, the fight against the machines. That's awesome. Um, I'm obviously yes. I'm in solid. We remain in solidarity with the WGA. We currently are only reviewing things that were written before the strike occurred. Um, and it's entirely possible that we will run out of runway at some point in the not too distant future. Um, but I also wanted to say that um, this is not this, this is not a nerd element, but part of the development of what's happening in the WGA is um, that one of the studios has hired a PR firm to manage the crisis of the strike. And I think that it says so much about late stage capitalism, but also the United States, that executives would rather hire somebody to manage the optics than simply manage the optics, right? Than simply just make, like do what they're supposed to do. So they're they're already trying to manufacture consent by making it okay for people to to say for making it okay for studios to union bust. That's really all it is. Yeah, it's pretty pretty wild. So if you're in the LA area, go and join some of those strikes. Get you know, give a writer, take them out to lunch. You know, bring some dinner. water, bring some, yes, yeah. bring food, absolutely. Um, there is an article that I, I sent, part of our Nerding Out segment too, that I sent, um, which was about North Korean science fiction. And um, I was, I'm fascinated by this. One of the things I love, because I, I do collect like science fiction, not just books and stories and magazines and other stuff from places that you wouldn't normally find it. Like I do have a couple of things from, for example, Iran. Um, I have a couple of like, like I have a somewhere I've got an original like, I'm not sure if it's an original original or if it's like, like local craft. But I have a I have an Empire Strikes Back, um, poster in um, in Telugu. Um, like I have a lot of really weird stuff. So I was reading the article about it about the science fiction from from North Korea and I got to tell you it's kind of it's a little bit of that so they don't they don't allow things like superheroes right in their science fiction so it's, it is controlled it is it was founded by uh Kim Il-sung um and they originally modeled some of their science fiction after like Soviet science fiction but then they kind of went and did their own thing and I thought it was very interesting how there are certain tropes that they don't allow but what I found interesting was the reason why and that's because of what we do, right? Um, and I want to go on record. Nobody really knows what's up with North Korea. So I'm not going to sit here and say they're evil or any garbage like that. On, on the other hand, I'm also not going to say that having generational leadership pass from one, you know, one, you know, like descendant to another is, is, is either Marxist or in any way kind of democratic. But so I kind of, do you have any take on this? Because I'm like, I'm fascinated. Like, I'm like, I want to buy, I want to find some North Korean sci-fi and buy it. I mean, would you buy it if it's smuggled out? Like, I mean, 
Wow. Apparently so, someone's managed to get their hands on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm definitely interested in the kind of storylines. What I mean, what I found in some of the sci-fi um, and different cultures is that the trauma that um, the cultures may, you know, the, the society may have does shape the kind of science fiction because that was the reality, right? The, you know, cataclysm that they experienced. So we could see that um, that the um, the types of storylines it's there's um, certain assumptions around what happens to the main characters or who are the main characters is different. Um, so that's what I really liked about um, reading um, the Three Body Problem series. Right, it was like the the kind of tropes that you see in normal like Western novels that sure. wasn't there. And that's also what I enjoy about um, Japanese storytelling and um, yeah, Korean storytelling. Um, some of the things that in African novels, um, some of the African um, futurism um, mm-hmm. has been really interesting. So yeah, let's open up to like getting into some non-Western or not even non-Western, but diverse writers who are coming sure. from different traditions and breaking out of the the kind of orthodoxies in story writing. So it's pretty cool when they're projecting that with sci-fi and how they understand technology. Sorry, there's my cat there. No, it's cool. I got a lot going on back here too. We're Um, going to talk about like the weird creatures in Ahsoka, which I'm just like, okay. I have issues with the, uh, (laughs) the function of those cats because we know with the genetic modifications when you breed cats to look a certain way they actually have respiratory issues and eating right. issues so i will i do yes i do i just wanted to add one one tiny thing real quick just to kind of beef up your point just a little bit which is the reason why i started i started fresh pulp gosh like 16 or 17 years ago was in order to get more uh, more diversity in science fiction and, and and granted the industry has sort of caught up quite a bit but um it's but yes you're right not just non-western but diverse voices and also i do think that there's a level of being able to understand people by participating or or i don't want to say consuming but participating in their art right and science fiction is no different right science fiction is basically what it's a very good way of determining what or how people dream about or see themselves in a potential future which is why I'm interested in more of the sort of, as we put it, theoretical science fiction and less of the really you know, sort of fantasy fantasy. So, so are we, so are we going to start with Ahsoka? Or are we going to. Yeah, let's, let's just, start, go, let's, let's just yeah, get in. Yeah. Let's, let's if we'll, start we'll, in. Yeah, if we have time, <laughs> if we have time for foundation at the end, we'll do it. If not, you know, no, we'll, we'll, we'll find back. time. So let's, let's, let's give ourselves like maybe a good, if we have, at most a half hour, but I don't want to spend a half hour in Ahsoka. I, I mean, I find Star Wars lore is so contentious and oh. convoluted. There's so mm. many novels I can't follow. Sure. I mean, if I spent the rest of my life trying to understand that all the derivative pro- content, I, I wouldn't have time. I mean, I don't, I you're don't. Right. And, you're right. You're 100% correct. You know, and then there'd be like people yelling at me and stuff. Like, I mean, I would just, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm going to make a lot of Star Wars folks really upset. Cause I didn't watch Rebels. So 
So there's certain things that were happening there that I was just like, so yeah, let's 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 maybe give it maybe 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah, we do it. We can do okay. it. Okay. Let's give it 20 minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so basically, and, and and surprisingly, there I'm gonna so I'm gonna do the beats real quick. And surprisingly, there isn't a whole lot of beats for something that was basically two one-hour episodes. But basically, um, you know, this is this they they set this whole thing up with a special episode from the book of um the book of Boba Fett and the Mandalorian. And basically, Ahsoka is she is a pre pre Empire Jedi who during the Clone Wars kind of rose to sort of prominence, but eventually left. So this story picks up basically 20, 20 something years later, right? Um, after the fall of the Empire. So, and um, essentially, there's a woman that was in the Book of Boba Fett named uh, um, Morgan Elspeth or Elspeth Morgan. Anyway, Morgan Elspeth, who is um, she is a witch from the Sisters of Dathomir, and she is looking, she has an artifact that she's hidden, Ahsoka's looking for it, she finds it, she takes it into her, in her custody, but she goes to find her old Padawan to help her decode it. The Padawan takes the artifact, runs off to her little, like, prairie apartment to, to decode it. All of a sudden, these two dark Jedi who you see in the, I'm sorry, I, I blew past that, these two, these, these two dark Jedi you see in the very first scene show up, well, one of them shows up, stabs her, takes the artifact, runs off, right? And then next thing you know, she's waking up in the hospital, Ahsoka's there, and she's like, you know, like, why did you do that? Why did you leave and take the artifact with you? Like, you screwed up. And then they they get a lead from the robot, one of the robots that attacked her, they get a lead from its brain that it's on, that, you know, that they need to go check these shipyards on Coruscant. So they go to Coruscant. I, I I feel like I'm just blowing past a lot, or there just wasn't a lot there. But basically, Lady Elspeth is one of the primary antagonists. These two dark Jedi work for her, and the artifact is supposed to point them towards where Grand Admiral Thrawn is, because they want to basically bring him back to the inner of the core worlds, reconstitute the Empire, and then destroy the, the New Republic. So basically, when they go to find this you know, one of these old shipyards that used to be owned by by, um, by Morgan Elspeth, they find that basically, like, all these people who work on the shipyard who supposedly have converted to the New Republic are basically just all, like, legacy Empire people. They try to kill her and Mary Elizabeth Wenstead, who plays General Sundulu. Um, they plant a... Ahsoka ends up getting into a fight with this other jet with this other Jedi and another droid, which again is completely weird to me. And Sundulu basically manages to put a tracker on this ship that's trying to escape with the with the, the warp drive core, and that and that's pretty much where this episode. And, and, not, and by the way, please inject anything I missed because I was like, I felt like there was just a lot of kind of fluff in there, you know. But anyway, like, and also her Padawan, basically, who's who's a Mandalorian at the end of the episode, decides that she's ready to come back and be a Padawan again, even though, like, the Jedi training robot, was like, whose name I forget, was like, yeah, out of, like, the 500, like, Padawans that I've trained over the centuries or whatever, you don't even rank amongst them as any, like, like she, so apparently she's, like, the worst Jedi ever, which I think is a really bizarre way to start out a, you know. Okay, so that's what I have to say about beats-wise. So feel free to correct me. Inject anything that I missed, and also please give me your takes. Yeah, these right now. I mean, just I mean, it's it's 
it's beautiful, right? You know, aesthetically, the makeup, it's really cool. The costume, you know, seeing Ahsoka's is, um, it's great. And so visually, and, and I was like, is it that I'm super tired? But like, I mean, the first episode, I mean, I was tired, but I, I couldn't push through. I actually kind of, I was like, I got to go to bed um which is very rare for me to like do that like I, I was like i had to finish watching the second episode and then i went and and this morning um no last night was it yeah last night it was the same thing too like i watched that and i was just like halfway through i was like i, I gotta go to bed um and uh for those that know me it's like i'm a late night i'm a i'm a night owl so night that owl, was the yeah. uh, yeah, so I mean, I was actually gonna text you. I was like, "Is it just me, or I mean, is this this the pacing? Like the setup is, is a bit slow, you know? Like in the in the parts and that that I I do think it could use some tighter editing. I think that they were just really spending a lot of time going for the coolness, um, as opposed to kind of, you know, uh, setting up the shot, you know, in the Padawan. Like I mean, they really wanted to show like she was like. I mean, you know, here is like dystropia, right? You know, thank you for the term. Distro the dystropia, 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 dystropia. I'm on my motorcycle. Right. Woo! You know, like I'm a badass. I'm like, I'm going to get a motorcycle now and I'm a ride. Can I, can I inject, can I inject <laughs> this? Dystropia is something that Marguerite and I created to sort of talk about tropes that we don't like that are not necessarily harmful, but are just either overdone hackneyed and just played yeah like shortcut it's like shortcut like oh here's a ceremony where she's supposed to speak i don't show up because i don't I'm care a i'm a rebel and i'm right. on this bike you know a hover bike and they try to stop me but i don't care so um yeah that's the way we're just going to show like that she's such our a dis badass. Our disdain for particular tropes, yes. Yeah, so... Um, We're calling you know, dystropia on that one. Yeah, I mean, is it like also, every can, movie we're going to do that? You know, wasn't that in Star Trek, too? Star it's, Trek, in, it's, it's, in, it's in, like, it's all of them. Every feature and, thing, yeah. And, and, it, and it sort of, on the one hand, and, and, and it is there is a harmful trope there, which is it sets up this this level of impunity for potential for possible heroes. It's like I can get away with being just a because everybody knows I'm a rebel and I'm kind of an asshole, but I'm going to save the universe. So you already kind of know, but I also want to say that on top of that harmful, on top of that trope, another dystropia was the person that you hand the artifact to who's supposed to study it, but then disappears with it because they don't really want to be near you. That's been done, right? Like I feel like I just like it was so predictable that Ahsoka came out and I can't remember what the character's name is, was just gone. And I was like, okay. But it was too convenient because you knew. You knew as soon as she disappeared, you knew it was going to fall into enemy hands. You knew, right? So it's like... So I think the trope really is our prized or our extremely important artifact or object falls into enemy hands due to my like misadventurism and negligence. Right. Yeah. Not not yeah. because the not because the opposition is particularly competent, but because you're a moron. Yeah. I so, mean, for something that that's worth it that much, like she was just not just that. And that was so hard to get. Yes. That she was just lacked just 
so I, negligent I about yeah. that. It's really yes. annoying. Really annoying. No. <laughs> I, I want to also add a little bit of context too, because a lot of people, as you pointed out, they would take forever to, for them to understand lore. I, I did. I did not watch Rebels or the Bad Batch or anything. I, I just wasn't. I don't like that. I don't enjoy that type of animation. And also, like a lot of other animation, the scripts were like whatever. Um, but Ahsoka is like on a scale of powerful Jedi. Ahsoka is she's she's up there. Right, she's comparable to say even Anakin, possibly. So, one of the few people who has dueled Darth Vader and survived, not only survived but actually injured him. So she's no she's no dunce, right, with the Force. Um, and so I I do will say that I kind of enjoy so far that they're kind of understating her a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, anyway. So that's what I wanted. I wanted to yeah, offer. Yeah, she's that. so she's so like cool. She's like, hmm. right. <laughs> Maybe a little bit too much, but yes. I'm going to fight you. You yes. know, she always does that Rosario dot. Like, I mean, I've never seen Rosario Dawson smirk so much, you know? Right. <laughs> Sabine no, Wren I mean, is her name. <laughs> yeah, yes. Sabine Wren is, is, um, is interesting, you know? I'm, I'm um, absorbing, right? And Rosario Dawson is Ahsoka is, is like, you know kind of has that same expression through most of the episodes. She's kind of like yes, unbothered, yes. unconcerned. So it's hard for me to feel the urgency, but I guess. Yes, exactly. Yes. I I want to inject this real quick, too. Uh, a couple of years ago, Rosario Dawson was in court. Um, I want to, because I, I want to be transparent and clear about Fairly our stance like on a... Oh, sorry. I want to be yeah, clear. I want to be clear about our stance on actors and actresses, actors and everybody who, artists who, you know, are accused of bad behavior. So I'm putting this out there. She she was accused, with, along with her mom, by a handy person who was trans of assaulting that person. So that person worked for her, was a handy person for her, her house in California. Um, and... And there was a, a disagreement about payment and about, you know, assigned duties, et cetera. And, and the person accused Rosario Dawson of, of basically holding them down and, you know, beating them, basically. And while, her, like, Rosario Dawson and her mother, basically, were accused of doing this, while they basically shouted, like, you know, they basically said um, harmful things to this person. This went to court, and Rosario Dawson was basically exonerated. As far as I know, as far as I can I can research, she was not, you know, convicted of any crime, and she was not ordered to pay any kind of restitution. So the courts found in her favor. That does not mean that she did not do it. Um, but it, it, but I, I wanted to be clear about that we know about this, and to reaffirm that we do stand in solidarity with trans people in the LGBT community. Thank you for, for bringing that up. And, you know, I mean, and it is sort of that tricky thing, right? Like where, where you can, like, how do we hold folks accountable? Like we know, like the burden of evidence could be a certain way, but then there's also, we're talking about people of color. And then if we don't have, like, if we, we're, we're not the judge and jury, you know, like we may not as a public get all the evidence, but yet we're, you know, creating like we like it it did have a it did a major dent on her career, like as far as folks who did respect her 
And so yeah. there is that distancing that um, we have. And I, I mean, I still do have questions. At the same time, I mean, there's, for me, I, I mean, I definitely struggle with that. I mean, I've had people tell certain narratives or, you know, things going on with me and have accusations. Sure. And so it's same. like, you know, how do we, how do we manage that when, I mean, I know what that explanation was. Um, like, I'm just like, yeah, those accusations are patently false. false. And yes. so, you know, like this just doesn't represent anything in my reality lived experiences. And I'm just really concerned that that's how somebody imagines, like that's their memory of things. So it's, it's very much a challenge, but, um, Thank you for uplifting that. And yeah, like being, you know, knowing the vulnerability of the trans community and, and, and workers and having like when you don't have expensive lawyers and everything like, I mean, I honestly, like I, I think in some ways like settling, um, you know, if you can trying to come to like mediation, like there's diff just different ways that we can try to solve conflict in non punitive ways, but also that honors the, the disparities right of power where we know the yes. powerful they tend to have like great lawyers and things that who can back them which is also yes. very scary like as somebody that doesn't have a lot of resources you know and that somebody could lawyer up and i'm just like you know yes okay for the record I, 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 yeah i did miss i did misspeak the case was dismissed it was, mm. She wasn't exonerated, but it was dismissed. So it never actually, there was never any actual adjudication. But yeah. I, I don't know what that says. But I want to, I want to be fair in the information that I, that I put out there, um, you know, and so that people can make up their minds about what's happened. And, re, and I, and I encourage people to go read about it, and I encourage mm -hmm. people to be critical, and I also encourage people to send us feedback and say, hey, you know, like you're, you know, you're just dead wrong for reviewing this show or whatever. We, we, we want to hear that. Yeah, and what I, I mean, the important thing is that when these stories come to light um, in the news, in the media, that many of us experience things, right? Like, and that it can bring up all those feelings of helplessness and everything. And so I just really want to send, you know, the, um, you Absolutely. know, kind of words of solidarity and, and, and understanding that many of us have cases, like either we can't bring cases to court because we know that they'll be thrown out, right. um, that there is very little restitution for those who are marginalized when you are um, a worker and you're facing things with your um, somebody who has access to lawyers and power. So thank you for uplifting that. Thank you. And thank you for those. Thank you for, for eloquently expanding upon what I've said and for your words of solidarity, because we're, we're both on the same page. So one of the reasons why I do this podcast together. Yeah. Um, I wanted to well, sort of you touch push on me. On... You do push me to like think deeper and more and, <laughs> and hold me accountable. So same, you know. same. <laughs> uh, I, I, so I wanted. To, so there's a couple things that I want to blow blow through real quick, but then land on one more thing. Number one, here here are sort of my my mini gripes about about the show so far. Why are why are New Republic uniforms so ugly? Right, they are so. Like the, that admiral guy in the beginning, and even the admirals in the previous like movies and stuff, he looks like he's wearing like a painter's smock or something. It's weird. Um, and so their so their uniforms are so ugly. And, and granted, right, like the Nazis had Hugo. Was it Hugo Boss, who like who designed their 
who designed their uniforms. So yeah, you knew they were going to be like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And so like the Imperial uniforms are modeled obviously after Nazi uniforms. So you knew that they were going to be tight, but couldn't you at least, and even the guys with like the little egg shaped helmets, Why? they, they looked even compared to the ones from the seventies, they look really chintzy. You know, they look really cheap. And so I was like, okay, that's, that's taken me out of it. Right. Cause those things are ugly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would just be like, I mean, one, I mean, I, I would just go rogue. Like you could not get me in that that rebel army with that fashion. Like, I'm exactly. Like, you put me in that. I mean, and not to say that like I mean my fashion choices are all that great. You know, I mean I'm typically you're, like you're I'm, I'm in you modest wear, but you know, but it's which is which is the challenge, right? Is like the challenge of like the 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 uh, vanity that we have, but it's just you know that it's my own vanity. It's like, can I join a rebel army? Would I trust them with those? ugly ugly uniforms no i mean no. they look inept like how could you navigate <laughs> stuff with exactly. that thing no, it's worse than can't. being redshirted right <laughs> yeah it's just like you know you're you're you know if you got that hat on right you are not even a supporting character you're gonna die <laughs> so right. that's the it's trope like, it's star wars ugly uniform you're you're just not you're not a hero. You have no swag. <laughs> I, I want to say too that these, these, on top of these, um, these poor uniforms. I mean, let me look at what I have here. Um, just in the uniform vein or the, the 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 set vein, these weird lightsaber configurations really take me out of it. Okay, the lightsaber with the knuckle bow. First of all, that's like huge, and then somehow becomes a circle with like two lightsabers. I hate that. I hate it with a passion. I don't mind the the um there's a one there's the, you know the Darth Maul version which is the two bladed one which is kind of like the um you know almost like a Mughal Qatar but like the blades are longer you know not Mughal but Indian Qatar you know what I mean uh, sorry not Mughal but Indian Qatar like it reminds me of that a little bit I like that what I don't like is that they're trying to be cool like really cool with it and it just it's not working right because they had those same ones in in Obi-Wan, right, all the Inquisitors had those weird circle-shaped lightsabers, and I, I didn't think that they were functional at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would love, well, no. I mean, what did it look like when they were, were practicing the fight choreography, you know, or like, what would this look like if it was like sharp, right? So, so you have these things that could burn you, like penetrate stuff, so... I mean, sharp objects and you're doing that. So, yeah, I mean, some of that is like trying to like level up, but yet they couldn't level up like the rebel stuff. Like it's like the technology of of the like, because well, I mean, I guess where we're at, like I've always like the bad guys always looks amazing, except for the stormtroopers. But then they level those guys up, right? Like they, they're not dumb, like they're they're not shabby and all of these post productions, but they just can't aim ever. Yes. You know, and also so, why are you using, why are you using a robot to attack? Like, why are you and a robot attacking a Jedi? That blew my mind. I was like, you're, I mean, it, it, that blew my mind, right? Like either fight the Jedi or don't fight the Jedi, but don't bring your robot into the fight with you. Right. So like, and I, and I did, and I, and I will say on that, that this, that one particular part, and then I'll sort of move on. The scene at the end where the guy like 
force calls his his lightsaber and like it's coming up behind her and she just kind of dodges it without even looking that was cool that was crazy cool it was probably the best part of the whole the whole episode and it, it only lasted like half a second yeah you're but... just like you caught that one i mean i saw it too but i mean I'm, I'm glad you brought that i mean there was like cool scenes you know but like i mean i i really feel like um oh gosh how i'm gonna say it i guess in my one critique it's like like, I mean, seeing, you know, because Jedi is supposed to be like samurai, right? Like, you know, so seeing the kind of smug arrogance as opposed to kind of like a purposefulness or groundedness in Ahsoka kind of bothers me a little bit, you okay. know? Like, there's just some of the things. And then the use of force, like, where they're just, like, flying through stuff. Like, that, I don't like that so much. And maybe that's, like, my sci-fi. Like, I'm flying like... Flying through what? What do you mean flying through what stuff? Like, she just was like... You know, and just like, kind of just, I mean, they were doing that with, with baby, with Grogu too. Like he would just kind of flip, like, right. and it was just like, there's not enough midichlorians in the universe to be doing all, like, I just don't, I'm not buying, I don't buy, like, okay. I can see, like, you know, cause like Darth Vader is supposed to be very powerful, right? Yes. Right. He's supposed to be like super duper powerful. But did you ever see Darth Vader do all these like shenanigans, like, float up like he could force push people strangle strangle them but now it's like they're doing all sorts of things like healing wait, when people did, when, like wait when, when did she Darth float Vader? when did ahsoka float she just like kind of like i think when she came up out of those like when she made the holes right oh she jumped thing, right she force jumped she jumped so she i will say this. i'm not i'm not well, a big fan of the force jump I, I know you're not. the physics think... of it the midichlorianism of it. So, <laughs> Darth Vader, if you recall, Darth Vader, and this was one one occasion, in, only one occasion, but it's actually in Obi-Wan. <laughs> but if you remember in Obi-Wan, he actually force-grabbed a shuttle as it was taking off. Right? See, that was a lot. It, it, it was I a mean... lot. I'm not going to lie to you, it was a lot. But things like force-jumping, those things don't really, I mean, because it was only like 20 feet. That didn't phase me that much. Obi-Wan jumped over 50 feet in... Um, in the first uh, Star Wars prequel, like he jumped from one platform well, to another. In the prequel, these prequels, anything beyond the first three movies, like they try to level up stuff that was never right. in the first three. That's what gets me. I, I, okay, okay. I, I see just, what you're saying. I'm, I would like a more disciplined universe, like where we could see the either the development, yes. right, and you can explain that, but it's like. No, they're kind of going back and retconning all these like amazing skills that didn't I, I, exist back then. I mean, you saw like even the sword fighting, like it made sense in the first like and I'm going to butcher this. But, you know, like when you're watching it, like in the first, what is it? Or the episode four, right? It was mm -hmm. like the new, was it what it, it's the yeah, original it's new, Star Wars. Right. Yeah, the new hope. But you know, Obi-Wan, you know, the sword fighting was like, you know, and it kind of makes it was like, it's like an unwieldy thing, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, they're like prequel I fighting. I love like, the sword fighting. I love the lightsaber fights in the, in the prequels, though. I'm sorry, I love it. It looks because, great. Because, it because looks... they actually applied some some choreography to it. That part, yeah, that's a part where you and I are going to disagree. I in the, in the prequels that was the only thing one of the only things I actually loved about it because in the first movie he didn't have you know Lucas didn't have the budget for a you know fight choreographer 
And so, so, and I loved, anyway, I loved it. I'm, that's all I'm going to say. I love the fight choreography. I'm just saying. I, they see, I see what you're saying about retconning, retconning their powers. I see that. But as somebody, by the way, and I'm not like, I'm not like pulling rank or anything. I'm simply saying that as somebody who read, who's read most of the books, who's read the comics, there is a bit of retconning, no doubt. It's not totally, totally, you know, far-fetched, but yes, somewhat. But to me, it's like whenever you see those Westerns, like those, like there was that West, there was a, a Western that was comprised of like um, mostly African-American cast recently, like a couple of years ago. And like they would shoot somebody and they would like fly off their feet or like do a backflip. I don't like, like that's, that's, that's what I think you're, you're talking about when you see it, it looks cartoonish. So yeah, I like when it's cartoonish, I agree with you. Sorry, that's just that's just this is the fight. I, mean, I like a, I like a good fight choreography, but if we can imagine like what we could have, I mean, because like obviously like Darth Vader is like, like by that time like he's lost all his parts, you know, like he's just like beaten, like you know, like so that come out maybe like Obi Wan Kenobi, <laughs> like he's like I mean, well, I'm right, and so yes. that fight would have been like made sense, like here's some old dudes trying to duke it out and. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could I, I, I could like talk about this element forever, but the, the the two the two things that I wanted to touch on really quickly. Number one, I love that 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 Rosario is heading this up. I love that her Padawan is you know Sabine Bren. I love I really like Mary Elizabeth Winstead, but so far this show is still very white. It's it's basically. Rosario and like everybody else. Vinny Thomas made a cameo, you know, the little the the uh, Twitter comedian, the TikTok comedian. But other than that, everybody in that show is basically. And that Jedi robot looks terrible. They need another robot. It looks really looks really clunky. So the the. You have like you have Rosario like, and then what is the name of the actress? I'm trying to pull this up. Diana I like Lee. one. Oh, you mean um, um, who plays Sabine? She's, so she's uh, yeah, she's Australian she's like, Asian. Yeah, she. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, she's um, she's uh, like, what is the term? I mean, are we not, using half, like half? She I is. Like, is, that even she is she used, Asian so. Australian, so she is Asian European. I'm assuming. Yeah, I think she played in like uh, I I read somewhere like she was. She. I mean, I think she played in one of the. Like another martial art or a crouching tiger hidden drag. Oh. Like there's some, or one one of the somebody in the film. So we got to look into that. Right, um, I will look into that. Yeah, but it's like, but that also kind of speaks to like how biracial, like as long as they're like European and Asian, like can get main roles in Asian films. So the kind of colorism that exists there. So very interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I'm, I mean, so those are the things like for me, for Star Wars, what kind of takes me out is like the rapid developments. And so it's hard for me to understand the time frame of when something happens because the, either the technology, the fighting looks so much cleaner, the use of like the weaponry or the uniforms of the bad guys look so much better. And like Andor, like an Andor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Andor is just so, it's beautiful, right? But it's hard to, like, date it because it Correct. doesn't look dated. And so, and I think that's what we kind of look for in the past is, like, something yeah. that's, like, a little bit, like, okay, this is from that time period. And so I'm wondering if the set design, I mean, am I missing that? 
maybe people could comment and show me like how they fit, fit it in with the timeline and show that the styles change over time. But I would love to see that, that kind of growth and change so I can like look at something that I'd be like, oh yeah, like that's, you know, the, the prequel period, you know, we're going back to before the first Death Star. Now we're at right. the big Death Star. Now we're at the supernova Death like those Death Stars just kept getting bigger and bigger yes. in the series. Like by the time, which is, which is a dystropia. <laughs> that that is a dystropia, which is the this need to continually make, you know, rather than making the the villains more somehow nuanced and more competent, they make the threats sort of needlessly and kind of un unsubtly bigger, 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 bigger. You know, like yeah. we went from the Empire to the First Order, and the First Order has. Not only a Death Star, but a Death Star that's the size of a planet. And I was like, oh, come on. Yeah, this is gigantic. Man. Dystropia. Is I'm calling dystropia on that one. The solar system. We're like, we're going to destroy this whole part of the so, right, right. We, yes. We put, we stationed, we put, you know, targeting mirrors around the galaxy so that we can bounce the beam all over the universe. The amount of shit. Actually. So here's, here's my thing. My biggest beef with the writing of the Star Wars series is how short that empire was. Yes. 20 years. 20 years, dude. How do you get that many people in 20 years? How do you get those resources going? Then when, by the time you know, Kylo Ren comes in with the first order, the amount of ships that came through, right? I was just like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not buying that. Like we need, we need, you know, at least this is the thing I like about Empire, like about Foundation, that it, you see the, you know, the time long, frame, right? right? Like at least some people go to sleep so then they could come back and it's like, whoa, everything's different. They had a hundred years to like leverage some resources, build up, yes. but 20 years, years of an yeah. empire. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons why they used, well, I'm not going to get into that because we're, we're, we're probably blowing too much time, but I want to say this too, because <laughs> I, I saw somebody, I saw somebody do a TikTok where they talked about and I want to mention this in, in pursuant to my, my, my comment about dystropia, about overpowered villains, is they use this term when the prequels came out to refer to Rey as a Mary Sue. And while that is not, it's, it's not, first of all, it's not a term that I like because it's misogynistic, but the, the criticism of it wasn't wrong, right? The, the lore and the canon surrounding the use of force powers is very clear. There are people who are naturally gifted force sensitives, but in order for it to manifest it, it, its way specifically, Jedi is a very specific type of force sensitive. It's a trained force sensitive. So to have somebody who has never touched a lightsaber before in their lives to face off against, which is a different weapon than using a staff, to face off against a supposed Sith Lord is crazy, right? So to, to, to then ascribe that to like, well, Maybe they just wanted to tell the story in their own way. There's no story there. That's like if I decided that I wanted to fight Bruce Lee, right? Even though I've, you know, do you know what I mean? And I'm trained, right? I would not ever want to go near Bruce Lee. I wouldn't go near Mike Tyson. I wouldn't, you know, anyway. So I wanted to, to sort of say that both of the both of the, the vantage points for that are one is misogynistic and stupid, and one does not acknowledge the possibility that there was just bad bad writing involved. Is bad writing, and then it goes back to then like, oh no, like she's a descendant of the, you know, yes, her palpitation, pal generational transference of power, yes, yeah, of like special skills, which royalty, right, in the myths of royalty, that's where that comes from. So I was like, wow, like the power of the first 
movie, right? Like if they just ended it, and I'm not saying that they should have, because like I really loved um, Empire Strikes Back, which is like an excellent, excellent film. And, you know, and then Return of the Jedi, which as a kid, like, I loved it. I loved the Ewoks, you know, they're so cute. Um, And, but like the, but the first film was just about a kid who had that potential, a kid from the back ends of, you know, like just poor and, and, and he, he gets trained and he learns to do some cool stuff that, that hero story is like any of us could be that hero. But then they make it like, no, not any of us, some of us. Right. And only if we have like some special family right. can be a hero. Right. No, any of us should be able to be a hero and with training and with discipline that we can possibly take take that on. But instead, you know, I mean, it, and that is still a setup too, right? You know, like, I mean, it's just like, it was one person could be the answer but still, like, you could just feel like your power in that or have a ragtag bunch of people come together um, and that you could be this regular kid and play a regular kid and play a part in that in a movement. So powerful. I just thought by the end, it betrayed that. So Yes, absolutely. Here 100%. we go. You know, so let's go into foundation. Yes, let's go into foundation. I... So basically, quick, quick beats, right? So Sarah learns basically that Empire did kill her family, right? Demerzel, basically, she's, she's playing it fast and loose with trying to rattle Empire's cage. And basically, he responds essentially by saying, yeah, I mean, he didn't say it, but he basically let her know, yeah, we, we killed your family. And Demerzel basically let the cat out of the bag. Demerzel was, was so, so they basically summoned her to the doctor to inspect her to make sure that she could bear children and she kind of like she was um she was i don't want to say being difficult because that's not how i want to characterize her she was she was being herself right she was being strong she was being like she was setting boundaries and demerzel didn't like that so demerzel was like you know basically yeah we killed your family and she started crying i mean that really like i was i, I felt that scene but so then back on um and that's pretty much the whole that that's that that whole storyline is pretty much her learning that her family had been murdered. Um but there was also the storyline with Hobart Mallow where he encounters the swarm and he basically lets them know, Hey look, we know that essentially you guys have this substance that you need in order to survive that the empire uses to keep you under control and you have to tie ten percent of your population to the empire in order to navigate their ships right he's like we have access to this technology to make this stuff we will give it to you if you basically stop stop navigating the space full ships for empire and also we don't need to use you know navigators for our ships they're whisper ships they can travel anyway so the swarm is like okay decides to call bell rios and deliver hober mallow to them which i'll come back to then on ignis Right on Ignis, um, uh, what is her name? Gail is like, hey, we should all work together, and she's still kind of having a back and forth with Tellum, and Salvor is talking to Loron, who is like, yeah, I'm sorry that I changed my face to look like you, which I thought was an interesting, you know, aspect of the consent aspect of what he did. I, I was glad that they addressed that. Um, 
but basically they were like eating, they're about to eat these like weird like little like shrimps and like when they do that they start screaming and tell them it's like oh you know what like that's just the price that you pay for being for for being one of us it's the price that you pay for being the good guy is sometimes you have to like you know it was a very weird harm reduction message anyway and i was horrified by that but then like gail gives this speech and is like we can all defeat you know the mule and if we band together and tell him is so happy because she's like oh she's coming into her own Sabor's not buying it so Sabor like goes off on her own and because she's like where'd they go when they took this gift the other night like they all have their you know their navigation cache still in here but this one does doesn't she finds where she went and then she finds harry's body tell him is like there, like oh it's too bad that you found her body because now we have to like do something to you and then end there but i do want to say going back to the bell rios um like saga you know saga the swarm oddly and unexpectedly decides not to take over mallow's offer they hand him over to to bell rios bell rios and his husband beat the crap out of him he manages to escape onto his whisper ship and leave so and they 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 report this by the way to empire they're like dude this is way worse than we thought like the foundation has apparently created technology that doesn't require you know us you know navigators and also they tried to like lure the navigators away from us, right? Oh, there's also Brother Constant and the other priests. They show up on they're on Ignis. They were obviously captured last episode, and they have a back and forth with uh with Empire. Brother Constant channels Harry Selden's like consciousness and has a conversation with, with Empire, which is basically like, We have ships, we have everything, you know, we can fight, and if we fight, we'll win. But we'd much rather be partners with you. And Empire's like, screw you, and and then that's it. So that's pretty much the episode. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I mean, it starts out right with the the Sword. fight of um, the black women, right? You know, and, and the queens like this gendered thing. I mean, and it was like it was very jarring. It was very compelling, also, just like the status of of women still you're like dang we're like this far in the future and we're just reduced to this that queendom is not the resources that she has to offer is you know like that they did make it about her reproduction um and so that was very jarring um and um you know and then the gynecological exam which is also deeply um invasive you know this invasive it's like and it's all men it's not like a woman there they're all there to witness the procedure is painful um so not only do you have the violation of her privacy but the equipment itself like this far in the future they they have to still make it a painful procedure so the writer is emphasizing that i was just kind of like okay like they're really trying to hone in on that she's harmed by this right and and making her very vulnerable, like when she had that shorty, like the self-assuredness and just like diminishing it, diminishing it, diminishing it. Um, so I think that, you know, I mean, either they knew like this would resonate with a lot of women uh, that um, how we experience being um, on examination table um, and then those fears like, but there's also that historic memory of like and we've talked about this right like the so-called father of modern gynecology gynecology um used to do um 
procedures on black women um, without any painkillers, like just with the belief that black women didn't experience pain. And so, um, you know, that like, and then they want to harvest her eggs right away. And so she's like really trying to negotiate her, her, you know, some type of autonomy, because then what would right. be her usefulness, right? If they just, you know, like her leveraging power. So, um, you know, like in this episode, there seemed to be a lot. I mean, well, the maybe there are some of the themes that were split in half, right? It's like one, it's like about children and families, right? Like what makes a family, um, but also like, but, um, you know, like it's like with, with her of like, her, her loss of her family and that she's going to have to like give birth to this new empire. Like how like devastating of being in a relationship or the, with someone that is that harmful. Um, so that I think that that echoed a lot there around abuse and power. I'm um, in the vulnerabilities, like the gendered vulnerabilities, the, the second part, right, like where it got to me was the, um, I was like, okay, they're making a big case for veganism right here. Cause one, those little mollusks were like really disgusting looking. Um, but the pain, like if we experience the pain, right? Like that it hurt, like not just like we, well, it hurt like hearing them cry, but if we experience the pain of the creatures that we're eating, would we still want to eat it? Right. Uh, that was like a very compelling argument around, um, so I want to know your kind of thoughts on that. Like, um, I know they were trying to make a moral point right around like that, that, you know, there has to always be a little death to move things forward. Um, and, and that, um, the ethics around that. And I know it's like, we're supposed to question it. Right. Sure. But at the same time, it's like the other ethical question that we have with, with, um, oh gosh, what's the name of the, the, the captain of the ship? His name is, um, Bell Rios. Bell Rios. So when Bell Rios says, oh, it'll be far worse. He's right. seen the yes. lawlessness of it. Well, that's the places he was going to discipline. He didn't see those peaceful places where they're just like, look, we, we went under stealth mode because empire sucks. Right. And that there is a possibility of having an anarchy. Anarchy does not mean absolute chaos and things falling apart. Right. Anarchy could mean people are just really cooperative and one person, one vote, they resolve their disputes in ways that a maintain people's dignity and no one person or no one institution has absolute power or um has a um monopoly on violence and so um i was just kind of like okay there's a lot of like ethical things that they put in here so in some ways like that piqued my mind more like my little critical thinking mind than what i saw around the ethics of Ahsoka, you know, like, I mean, sure. I would yep. love yep. what I loved about Andor where there, 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 there were these ethical questions, right? That there was these questions around characters who weren't all like they were gray. Um, and then with foundation, the writers are trying to do this. And sometimes it's like, 
blatant in your face. Like, it's just like, okay, can we add a little nuance there? Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like, what is it like to, if you're a true feeler, right, and you open that up to feel the fear of the animal that you're about to slaughter, right? But I think that that's what indigenous peoples, or even like for, for, um, for Muslims who come from, you know, who observe halal, which it's like, there is this, it's, it's like that the, the, the idea of the blessing is that this is a creature, this is something that is, um, that is sacred and that, and it's death has to be honored in a certain way and it has to be as painless as possible and that we're not supposed to do this waste. But we now live in a consumerist society where we're just like eating a bunch of things and not thinking about the harm or just even the quality of life of what we're eating. Yeah. Um, and so I felt like maybe, I mean, that kind of, I thought they were going to go that way, but then it was just like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, you know, we need the protein and just a little bit of death. Right. They just kind of moved on. So. Right. But also we're, we, you know, in, in, in the halal diet, uh, diet and correct me if I'm wrong, but we're not even supposed to consume things that can that tear or rend the flesh of other animals. So it's not even just what, and, and, it's, and I know that one of the Madabs is like, won't eat bottom feeders either. But I think there's this idea, and for someone like myself, I, I have, um, uh, you know, I did date a, a, you know, a Hindu woman for, for a little while, and she didn't eat meat. And one of the things that she said was that, that even having a partner who consumed meat, you know, it had a it had a potentially deleterious impact on her sort of overall spiritual. Like I'm trying to I'm trying to look for the word, but basically, you you know, ideally you don't want somebody who also eats meat or who tortures animals. So um, I don't want to say karma because I know that's not the right word, but it has an impact on on her. You know, being linked to somebody spiritually has an impact. You know, on your on your spirituality. So the idea that we also sort of, not laterally, but vertically try to avoid eating animals that eat other animals, I think also says something very similar about our own spiritual requirements and makeup. Like, do you know what I mean? So, but going back to foundation, and again, correct me if I'm wrong with regards to the, the you know, the, the dietary you know, constraints, but going back to foundation, one of the things that I got from from the saga of Sarath was what I see a parallel of in in because she doesn't she you're right she has limited moves and that character your take on that character was spot on I actually hadn't thought of it completely that way but what I was thinking also was how how what I saw in it was it goes back to something else you said. Um, in a previous uh, podcast, which was this this need or desire to seek adjacency to power by women of color, right? In this instance, she needed it to survive, and I completely got that. But there's also this element that I find a little off-putting, which is you come from a planet, essentially, that was pacified and was scourged by empire, and now... You know, in other words, if you look at like British colonialism or Spanish or Portuguese colonialism, there are still people in the second and third world who seek that adjacency, despite the fact that their countries were completely torn up by these these imperial powers. Do you know what I mean? And so that's what I saw in it partially. Your point sort of, you know, doesn't negate that, but it 
adds more context to it, that there is an element of coerciveness involved. But there are people who voluntarily are like, hey, you know what? I know that your people colonize my people, but can we be a thing? And I'm like, that's weird. Um, but it, it happens, whatever. People love who they love. So, but I also wanted to mention something similar about the swarm. I was shocked the swarm gave up Obermallow. I was really surprised. And let me tell you something. The swarm is like that ship and the smoke and everything is straight up like a cover of like Earth, Wind, and Fire, George Clinton, like Parliament Funk. Like that is a straight up Afrofuturist. Like I want to print that image and like put it on an album cover from like the 70s. Um, anyway, so that's pretty much what I have to say about there, there, Is there one thing I'm, I'm missing? Oh, the Bell Rio thing, the harm reduction. That that bugged me because they're because Tellum and Bell Rios, they're like they're very similar in their attitudes towards, you know, like, oh, you know, you've you know, you you haven't seen the whole universe. I have. And some parts of it is just like one person's a rapist and he rapes everybody. And I was like, your boss is a rapist. Your the only difference is that your boss can afford to white people's memories after he does it. Right. Like. This idea, as you pointed out, of there being chaos in the absence of imperialism is ridiculous. It is, it is a harmful propagandist trope. It's a dystropia. Another dystropia, I'm calling it. Just because there is not a galactic center or a Rome or a New York, just because there isn't a bunch of these capitals that are have hegemonic control culturally, militarily, and financially over other parts of the world does not mean that the other rest of the world are savage or barbarians, all right? These are people who have, you know, had access to the same technologies, had access to the same crafts, had access to the same scholarship as everywhere else in the world, in many ways better. But the difference in who became a colonial power and who didn't was how they, they chose to apply those crafts. There are some people, a, you know, i.e. Europe, who chose to use and apply their technological know-how towards conquest and warfare, right? Whereas other smaller nations chose to use them for more artistic and peaceful endeavors. They didn't, it's not to say that they were completely devoid of violence, but they had no designs on conquering the rest of the planet. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really powerful um, analysis that you have there. I mean, and, and now, I mean, the, the kind of the historian in me is kind of like, really want to kind of expand and I know we're very short on time but I Go, definitely please. want to spend the Go next ahead. time thinking about just different empires right I mean whether we're thinking about like I mean for me it's like some of my pre-modern work as a historian right is like I mean I'm medieval I was a medievalist in undergrad so we're kind of thinking about like feudal systems right and the kind of um like consolidation of power in those formations but I also mm -hmm. did like kind of like when I was taking um, or doing work in pre-modern kind of like Middle East, South Asia is like the um, the gunpowder empires, right? And like what caused the kind of, like how did people kind of always look at the borders and the kind of expansion, like uh, military expansion, what, what purpose did that serve, right? And, and, and kind of stabilizing or like, or with the center so, so it's like, yeah, like there's conquering peoples, right? Like where people have different cultures where, sure. you know, the political formation is on conquest. And I mean, within, um, you know, like what we, what we do know is that um, like in African history it was like in places where they're like resource rich, 
like the land is very rich, but they're people poor. Like the people are just like, I can go and escape. Like people sought autonomy. The reality is, is that, um, that in many places where people could leave and make a living for themselves, they cho chose freedom. And that meant not taking a bunch of possessions, not having oppressive social systems that included social, like oppressive food systems, but they sought ways to like, to not have the control of these powerful states. So I do think that when people are writing about societies or universe, you know, and like expansion, that they really have not studied history, or if they have, they've only studied a certain type of history that is focused on just telling the stories of great men, great leaders, you know, and these states, as opposed to the histories of like how people's culture shifted and they expanded. When you look at the history from the bottom down, which that's what makes it so interesting when you show what was life like for the peasants, the farmers, you know, like people who maybe had to navigate an empire. That's also like very interesting. So, but like, I think overall, we have to really try to break ourselves out of Eurocentric history telling um, and look at how do people live, right? How do people live for thousands of years? and knowing that those are sustainable but what we always imagine is sort of like the future of like or our imagined future of how the roman empire was or how even these empires operated because a lot of times for a lot of people they're just like we don't even really care who's in power as much it doesn't really bother us like as long as we're just kind of left alone and and able to enjoy our village life because that was the average living that we had but right. now we have with rapid like global urbanization you have people moving to these cores and that they're now completely dependent upon this upon this the state for everything you know and those social systems that we have so i think we you know it would be really interesting if we actually had some really cool historians sociologists community organizers to actually start to do some sci-fi storytelling so i think we I, could yes. get some Yes, really cool I, social systems. Yes. I also, I also, you know, I want to like see if I can't get a couple of, because I know that, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this real quick. I know that like I'm a blunt instrument when it comes to my, my, the things that I say about history. Like I'm not a historian. So I will say something that's very general and, and probably not completely accurate. And I, I acknowledge that just because I, I'm not really equipped to, to say something more specific. But in addition to yourself, I think it'd be cool to get a you know historian or two on the show right so that you guys can go at it and sort of help contextualize some of the things that we see some of the tropes that we see um you know on television and, and in films that would be great definitely i mean i i look forward to that i mean and, and so for me it's like as a kind of i mean i'm definitely going to be on the lookout for social systems that are tropey you know like yes. yeah like having an empire what does that mean well, we know there's much more complexity yes. in that. So it's like the empire itself, like right now for the film, for the series, we need that one person as opposed to understanding the bureaucracy or the economics that would make like lead to stagnation and an ultimate collapse of that. So that's where I'm Ooh, like, I'm definitely. I want to talk about that. Let's, I want to get, yeah. I, I wanna, 
take a note on that because the bureaucratic element was something that I was contemplating last night and I forgot to write it down. Well, I want to talk about it next week. We did have a lot to unpack. Like it's completely fine that we we you know we tr we tried to restrain ourselves a little bit. So it's completely fine that we bit. went over. We well, you know, we have we we're doing two shows now. We're doing two shows now, and and well, we're doing two shows now, and one of the shows had two episodes, and so we had a very dense week. Next week will probably be a little bit a little bit easier. Um, so, but I do want I do want to to wrap this up. Um, so if you have, if you have any any final comments, please offer them now so I can. Yeah. Um, hey, writers, N.K. Jeminson is really great at world building, doing that stuff. Take some master classes of understanding the logics of society, you know, and how things work, because it just gets really tropey when you just have like one person that's embodying everything in power and not understanding, you know, like there's just a lot of great things you could add by like other players in that you could actually decenter the emperor right and have like really compelling stories about everyday people so let's do some everyday stories and yes and you hire know, those push people. those to the background yeah hire hire good hire, writers you know hire hire the nk jemisons hire the netio core force hire them to it, 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 at the least consult on your scripts and at, at best pay them well and have them help you write them so mm -hmm. if they're interested that is so but having said that I want to thank everybody for coming in. If you're watching this on YouTube, please do us a grand old favor because you're going to help us monetize. Like this video, subscribe to this video, share, get other people to do so, and get your friends to come in uh, to watch us. Um, thank you again, Marguerite, as you know, usual. Um, it's been a pleasure to sit here and talk with you about some great nerd stuff. I'm looking forward to next week, and I'm looking forward to seeing everybody also next week. So until then, have a good weekend, and we'll see you next Saturday.